Thank you for listening to this podcast. Today we have four Cambridge MBA students who will talk about their social enterprise, which they entered for the Halt Global Prize. First, we'll start with Beth. Beth, can you tell us a bit about what the team had to do for the Halt Global Prize? Yes, so we had to design a social enterprise to um, address a problem which was given to us, which was this year the world food crisis. And we were supposed to design a social enterprise that would address the world food crisis, uh, specifically targeting slum dwellers. How did you go about forming this team? Um, so when I came to business schools, one of my interests was actually to design a social enterprise. And when I learned about the competition, I really wanted to enter. Um, and I thought it would be a good idea to put together a team with very mixed backgrounds. So I myself have a background in microfinance, um, working in Africa, and Emily has an interest in food policy. Um, Fiona has a background in community development. Graham has worked as a management consultant in South Africa and has also been involved in charity work in slums. And Nate has also worked with some NGOs in Africa. Emily, can you tell us a bit more about what is this problem that you're trying to solve or you've been asked to solve? Yeah, so we were asked to address the um, food crisis in slums. And the first thing we had to do was to think about what the actual problem was. And in doing our research, we realized that the problem hadn't didn't have to do with production, but it had to do with access to food. And, um, and we also had to think about what it was like to be in the slums. So... The idea that slum dwellers live day-to-day on um, small amounts of money called microeconomy, and um, so they don't, they don't have the ability to leverage their purchasing power. Why is this such a big problem? How big is this problem? 200 million slum dwellers. So the idea is to feed all 200 million in five years, but the way we addressed that was we thought first we start small and then we can build out on it. So we, we um, narrowed down our scope to Kibera. Kibera is a slum in Nairobi. One million people. Graham, you, could you just describe for us what the situation would be like in a slum? How do people find food uh, ingredients and how do they cook? Yeah, sure. So um, generally if you're living in a slum, you're going to be living in sort of a, a man-made structure. And if you're going to be looking for food, there's three main places you can look at. The first place is to go to a grocery shop, not, not typical grocery, like a Tesco's here. You go to somewhere, someone who else is living in a shack, as we call them, and they will generally be selling something out the back there. So you'll generally be buying processed food that's unhealthy. It generally has quite a bit of markup because it's gone through quite a few middlemen to get there. The second option is to go to a cafe. Now, cafe, again, isn't as we would typically think of a cafe. It's more like a mini restaurant. Generally, food cooked in a lot of oil, um, not really healthy and a bit more expensive again because it's had to go through quite a few middlemen to get there. Now, the third option is to go to market, uh, and I'm talking about a big market again, not a, not a supermarket where you know farmers will come in and bring their produce. And you can generally get food a bit cheaper there, but you have to buy it in bulk. And that's something if you're a slum dollar, it's only you can't afford because you're only getting a daily income, and it's pretty far away. Right, so you have to go very far away. These they don't slum dollars don't own cars, so it's something that they can't get. So generally, if you're getting an income of less than two dollars a day, which is generally the average in slums, in Kibera that equals around three hundred shillings. 
and I'm going to refer to career numbers because that's where we did our research, so I know these numbers a bit better. Um, you're going to spend about 50 of those shillings on some fuel. You're going to spend 50 on putting a roof over your head. And then the last 200, you have to spend on mostly just maize. So, so maize, that's a staple diet. diet. That's a staple diet, right? You're going to buy as much food as you can to just feed your family. So, and that's that the nutrition isn't there. Then you'll take that home and you'll cook it in whatever utensils, um, you know, whatever pots and pans you might have. And you have to cook it over a kerosene lamp, which is notoriously dangerous because you can knock one over, it can burn down everything. It starts a lot of fires. The fumes aren't good for you. So generally, um, that is it. The typical life is that you're spending a lot of big chunk of whatever income you're getting on expensive food. And generally, it's not healthy food. And what's your team's solution to feeding all the people in Kabira? Well, while we were doing our research, um, as we spoke to more and more people, it became very clear that in slums in general, just in general, um, women are the people that are making sure their families are fed. Um, And we also found that there are groups of women. There are groups of women in Kabira called Chama. There are also groups of women in other slums and other places around the world that work together to try and... uh, and save together to be able to, one week, one of them might be able to take a bit of extra money out to be able to um, to get something for their family. Another week, another one would be able to. And this is something that microfinance institutions are already uh, working with to um, use social networks. So we wanted to build on that and build on the fact that women are already saving together to see if we could leverage that to create bulk purchasing power so they could go to the markets. And rather than having to travel a long way just for some food for their own family, which they find it difficult to store... Um, we'd be able to buy bigger amounts um, and they'd be able to work together as groups of families. Um, But they'd need somewhere to be able to to do this. So the basic idea is to provide them with working capital to be able to buy um, bulk purchasing of food from the markets. But also they'd have an asset. We'd actually provide a kitchen for them. Um, The easiest way to do that would be maybe in a shipping container, which we would fit out with them. You can get them all over the world. Fit that out with the right technologies, the the, the easiest frugal technologies, the... um, Things that can use solar power, that can use, that can convert waste from uh, from within the slum into energy, uh, to be able to uh, provide them with an asset which they own, um, a social base for them to meet together and do other things, but also it's something they could have as a business. So they would be able to feed their own families, but they'd also be able to sell surplus to actually create an income for themselves. And when we um, worked off the numbers that we could get from. Uh, um, some people that we know who are in Nairobi um, who are able to talk to people within the slum, go to the markets and find out prices. So um, Graham was already talking about what the existing spend is, but we were able to work out that it massively reduces the, um, the amount of food there, the, the, the amount that it would cost them to feed their families. Is there a name for your product? Uh, yes, yeah, so the Kabira um, version would be called Chama Yajikoni, which means group kitchen in Swahili. All right. And if I understand you correctly, your um, idea, Chama Yajikoni, will be to sell these kitchens in the two communities, um, give them some kind of purchase, uh, purchasing power by aggregation, right? And they run, uh, the women will run the kitchens. Is that right? Yeah, so groups of women would run the kitchens and own them. Um, they'd get them from us in a, on a higher purchase scheme over a long period of time. Um, on sort of rates that are slightly under existing microfinance rates. Um, and then we would provide them with working capital each week to be able to buy what they needed for their kitchens. Um, and then we create a network of them across the slum. So in Kabira, we might set up 50 kitchens. 
we do it as a micro-franchise so that 50 kitchens across um, the slum would be connected to each other to be able to create bulk purchasing power, not just for individual kitchens, but in aggregation across all of them, um, which would then make a much steadier um, demand for the markets, which would also create a much steadier demand for the rural farmers, the where the food's actually coming from. Will there be, um, a perp- will there be uses other than just being kitchens? Yeah, well, there's two ways that there are onward um, social impacts. Uh, one is that they would be spaces which are available in the communities, owned by the communities, for them to do other things. So it might be that in the evening they can clear away the food preparation and have additional classes for, for their children, meet together, um, use it as, an, as a base for any kind of activity, um, the way that we have community centres um, in other areas of the world. Um, but also it provides those families with um, extra income, uh, which means that they can spend it elsewhere so that they would be able to maybe invest in education away from the home for their children um, or be able to um, support uh, expanding the business and maybe moving on to other things as well. So what are the headline uh, numbers for your, for, for your product? The competition that we have been part of has, is uh, for a to be able to set up the social enterprise, which is for $1 million. So we based our numbers around having that capital investment, um, uh, that capital amount which wouldn't need to be repaid. Um, it, with that, then that alone would enable us to create 500 kitchens, um, which would provide 3 million meals every month, which would save 16 million shillings every month as well. This um, is all just in Kabira? And that would just, that, that's just from the initial investment. But we've worked out that within uh, four years, we would actually be able to sustain setting up another network of kitchens in another, part, in another country, another part of the world, to be able to create the same thing. So it's a self-sustaining business. So you, th- you think that this is a scalable model? Absolutely. Um, and the groups of women like Chama exist all over the world and other slums, so we can tap into those social networks elsewhere. Emily, what are the biggest challenges to launching Chamaya Chikoni? Um, so the biggest challenge is making sure that we get the community, um, we get the support of the community. And um, we would have to do that by building trust and engaging with the existing networks. And what was the judges' feedback to your proposal? Yeah, so the feedback we got is, is really around three points. The first one was that they loved the social aspect of it. So we, because we had this big focus on existing groups of women, um, you know, it brings through the power of women, the power of people, as opposed to trying to force some sort of solution on them. It's trying to really work what's already there. So they really like that idea, the social aspect of it. And, and the second thing that comes out of it is that it's because it's scalable. And it's scalable because, like Fiona said, there's these, these groups of women exist all around the world. They exist in South America. They exist in West Africa, they exist in, in India. So be, that combined with the sort of lower price in this and the, well, the cheapness of it is to set this up and the fact that it pays itself back is we can have these kitchens around the world feeding people globally in a very short space of time. Uh, and then the third thing we got was that they were just very keen for us to enter the, the online video competition of the, of the halt so, to see if we can progress to the next round. What is this online video competition? Sure. So the online video competition is to upload a two- to three-minute video clip that both describes the problem that we've just gone through here, but also our solution to it. And hopefully gives people trying to garner support for it. So we have to get people to, to like our video. So the way it is is there's a Facebook group, and we upload the video there, and we need to get as many upvotes as we can. 
And then once we get into the top 10, those top 10 then go into a review by judges and we have to submit some ancillary documents, which we have already based on all the research that we've done. And they'll make the final decision of who goes through to, I think the finals in New York, to go through and present with five other teams for the $1 million. Thank you for spending your time with us. Um, I wish you all the best of luck in the online video round. And for everyone who uh, is listening to this and feels inspired to be part of a solution which affects 200 million people around the world, I hope you would vote for the, the Cambridge team on the online video competition.